Attention. This podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. From out of the darkness, you hear voices that send shivers down your spine. That feeling of dread is undeniable when you notice the monster under the bed is trembling. The aliens are scrambling to get back to the mothership, and the vampires are refusing to rise. Your reptilian overlords are pleased to force on you two humans they swear are not their captives. Your hosts, Michael and Wendy. This is Eerie and Absurd. Welcome back to Eerie and Absurd. I'm Mike. I'm Wendy. It's our Missing Monday. On a Tuesday again? On a Tuesday again. Oh, what? We can do whatever we want. It doesn't have to rhyme. It's it's our podcast. It is our podcast. (laughs) If we want to have Meatloaf Monday on a Tuesday. We can do it. That's right. So this one is about Dennis Lloyd Martin. Yes. It's a pretty popular, well, I shouldn't say popular. It's a very well known Mm -hmm. missing person. It is. Most of the sources we got our information from are from newspapers like the Tennessean, Knox City News, I believe is what it was called, or Knox News. I think that's what it's called now. Um, but most of them were mainly from newspapers. And we're going to, I'll post the links to all of those. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. You ready to get started? Yes. Dennis Lloyd Martin was born on June the 20th of 1962. Out of his three siblings, he was the second child of William and Violet Martin. Dennis was also known as Denny by his family, and he was described by his mother as not particularly athletic, but he was quite active. He loved camping trips, and he was a beautiful child. On Father's Day weekend in June of 1969, so Dennis is six, Dennis, along with his nine-year-old brother, Douglas, his father, William, and his grandfather, Clyde, went on their traditional camping trip to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And at least around here, everybody knows what that is. Been there. Yeah. It's beautiful. beautiful. (laughs) Jinx. So it just happened? Yeah, I think so. So the plan was for them to hike from Cades Cove to Russell Field. They were going to make camp once they got to Russell Field. And then the next day they were going to hike to Spence Field, which is near the Appalachian Trail. And then they were going to make camp for the night there. So this was a Friday, Saturday, kind of comeback Sunday trip. Now, for the three generations of Martin men, their plan starts off without a hitch, and they arrive at Spencefield on Saturday, June the 14th. While at Spencefield, Douglas and Dennis meet two other boys, and they begin to play games like little boys do, you know. And one of the games, can you guess what they played? Probably. Obviously. Freeze tag. Hide and seek. Yeah. That was my second guess. Hide and seek. I remember playing that, and I loved it, and then it was to the point that I hated it, too. You always got to pee when you get a really good spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if you get forgotten to get seeked. Yeah. They just <laughs> tell you to go hide, and they're not even looking for you. But. You're really annoying, and they want you to leave. <laughs> However, I would always not seek the person if they didn't seek me back when it was my turn. Yeah, you're since I watching TV. Yeah, that did happen. <laughs> Now, just as a reference, from all accounts, this day in particular was an absolutely beautiful, clear day, and the view was and is spectacular in this location. However, you do have to be cautious of even the most beautiful things in the world. Anyway, Spence Fields, it's about 4,800 feet above Cades Cove, 
And if you've ever been hiking, you know that it can be dangerous. And this area was no exception to the rule. Even the most experienced hiker is not going to go without being fully prepared. Yeah, there's bluffs. I mean, a snake could bite you and you're screwed. You know, Mm, you just go through. What? No, sir. Big feats? Mm-mm. Not in Tennessee. What's the plural of Bigfoot? What are you talking about? Bigfoot is in Tennessee. I thought it was like up north. That's a Yeti. Oh, that's Canada. Oh, boy. Okay. That's an- another episode. So, dangerous ravines, steep slopes, copperheads, notorious in Tennessee, rattlesnakes, bears and bobcats, and there are even feral hogs. Am I saying that right? Or what is it? Is that the right thing? Feral hogs, yeah. Feral, okay. Feral hogs were like extremely prevalent in this area. And they're super aggressive. Yeah, I have heard that. You've told me that they, they will attack you, no issue. Like, it doesn't matter if they're hungry or not. They're yeah, pissed. they're just assholes. It's because they're fat and they're hungry. Mm-hmm. It's even noted that due to a drought that had occurred the previous year, that the bears in that year were becoming rather bold due to their hunger, and they were getting closer than usual to campsites and to campers. Stealing picnic baskets? No, sir. Listen, I don't know that many people are going to know what you're talking about when you say that. What, Yogi Bear? Yeah. Oh, boy. The children are playing hide and seek, and they decide to sneak up and scare the adults because that's fun, obviously. They're never going to know it's coming. Hey, William and Clyde, so that's the father and the grandfather, are not the only adults that are present. One article from 1969 does state that there are about five adults total that the children are trying to sneak up on and scare. Now, Dennis is wearing a bright red shirt. He's got on green shorts and he has on Oxford shoes. So if you're in the wilderness, a bright red shirt is like a dead giveaway of where you are. Like if you're playing hide and seek and stuff. So if you're trying to come in and do this sneak attack, it ain't happening with a red shirt on. That's a problem. So, while the boys are planning their covert mission of scaring the adults, they make the decision to scatter, with some of the boys coming in from the sides and the front, and Dennis kind of coming in from the rear so that his shirt doesn't give him away. Now, the whole time, the adults, the kids are in clear view. The adults can see them. They are also very well aware of what's happening and what the kids are trying to do, and they think it's hilarious. And when the boys come in for the jump scare, the adults, being great, all jump with pretend surprise, to the delight of the boys, because obviously they have succeeded in their mission. But it's very shortly after this that William and Clyde question, where is Dennis? Because Dennis did not come in for the attack. From behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was literally within minutes. So I was, it was definitely less than five. It was between two to five minutes that they were like, where is Dennis? Because they thought maybe he might have been waiting just a little longer, you know? I did find an article from Knox News that was written by Matt Lakin. Lakin? Sounds good. L-A-K-I-M. And it has a great timeline of events that I'm going to kind of use to keep everything in order. Okay, so on June the 14th, on Saturday, now around 4.32, 4.35, this is when they realize that Dennis hasn't returned. And so William and Clyde begin searching for him. By 7.30 that night, a... They called him a naturalist named Terry Chilcote and his wife arrive at Spencefield and they kind of stumble into the search that's occurring for Dennis. Both report that they didn't see anyone on the trail as they were coming in. So I'm assuming there's a one way in, one way out situation here. I'm not sure. But they didn't see anybody and they didn't see Dennis. At By 830, Clyde hikes back to Cades Cove and he reports Dennis missing to the park rangers. 
I know that that's a long amount of time. I don't know why they waited so long. And I'm not even judging that at all because obviously he's right there. Like, where is he? You know, they're hollering and yelling. They're looking. They're doing their due diligence. Yeah. I mean, that is a four hour window. And I don't know how long it take. It took like for Clyde to go back to Kate's Cove. So you got to account for that too. Sure. By 9 p.m., there's a thunderstorm. And it rains throughout the night, and it measures to about two and a half inches of rain. Search efforts do continue, even in the rain, but it's very obviously, it's really difficult because it's raining. It's loud. If it's thunderstorming, you, you're not, even if you're yelling, they can't hear you for the, from that far away, you know? Mm-hmm. On Sunday the 15th, every, you know, the park rangers, everybody reconvenes that early that morning. Park rangers, along with volunteers from the Blunt and Sevier County Rescue Squad, along with hikers, assemble to look for Dennis. By the afternoon, Boy Scouts and rescue squads from North Carolina and rangers that are still in training, basically, converge on Spencefield, and the volunteers total to around 240. The North Carolina Rescue Squad, they actually bring in like jeeps and helicopters and stuff like that to kind of help with the search because it's just been a few hours. They're going to find him. Right? It sounds like it, yeah. 240 people is a lot. That's a lot of people. All in one time. By Monday, June the 16th, the search continues with the number of volunteers topping at around 300. Search dogs are brought in to aid volunteers in the search. The American Red Cross arrives and they start feeding everybody the volunteers. Airmen from McGee-Tyson National Guard Base arrive to help. Rescue squad volunteers from Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Georgia also show up for the search. Unfortunately, it starts raining again that night. This won't stop raining. Mm -mm. And I will state, the mom, uh, Violet, she did show up, I believe, by noon on Sunday. She shows up as well. Yeah, she's going to look too. Mm -hmm, Because she wasn't there. So they live in Knoxville. So it took her a few hours to get there, but she did show up. Think of how difficult it is to move up and down the hills there and that terrain mm-hmm. when it's just soaked. It's soaked, yeah. And even when it's not soaked, it's still, if you're not used to it, you're going to stay on a trail. You're not going to even get off the trail because it's filled with like, uh, one of the things was saying it had like redondron vines and things like that. Like there was just, it's, it's just underbrush all over the place. On Tuesday, June the 17th, soldiers from the Army Special Forces arrived to join the search. Now, due to the cloudy weather, the helicopter crews are grounded, and a child-sized footprint and a child's shoe print are found about a mile below Spence Field. The family doesn't think that they belong to Dennis due to they feel like it's too big to be his, because as soon as they found it, the rangers, they did a cast of it and they brought it to them. That way they could look at it. Park officials, once they heard this, believed that the tracks were probably made from some of the Boy Scouts that had been aiding in the search. It's it's kind of weird, though. Like, why would you have your shoe off? Yeah. Stepping in the mud. Uh-huh. Unless maybe you lost it or something. Now, more rain falls. At some point, someone in the search party shoots himself in the leg. And more rain falls. And the total number of volunteers has reached 365 at this point. It was 366, but someone shot themselves in the leg. Stop. <laughs> Wednesday, June the 18th, the number of volunteers has reached over 600, causing the rangers to set up traffic control stations. And due to fog, the helicopters are still grounded. Now, at one point, there was a plan for William to get into an airplane and try to call for Dennis from the plane. Uh, however, some rocks knocked 
out the landing gear of the plane. I don't even know how that happened. So this is also when the psychics start to send predictions of where Dennis should be found. This is 1969. I mean, <laughs> them psychics been around for a minute, huh? So on Thursday, June the 19th, 700 volunteers have arrived. So the volunteer pool has increased substantially and branched out to include Tennessee State Troopers, firefighters from the Knoxville area, and TVA foresters. Now, William does get the opportunity to call for Dennis from a THP helicopter using a bullhorn, and that's Tennessee Highway Patrol. Uh, Rangers begin checking pit toilets, watching buzzards, and testing bear and boar scat. Yeah, so they're they're looking in like latrines that people have dug, and they may have some out there. Is it like a park, like the camping area? I think it's just a campground. The way it sounds is I think that there are some, maybe some cabins out there or structures, but Mm. I think you can just camp regular. Right. Like hardcore. And then obviously if there's buzzards circling, that's a good indication. That something is past. And then uh, scat. Yeah. Yeah, Just checking the bear poop. That's an interesting, I've never, that's an interesting way to say it. (laughs) I guess I've never heard anybody say it like that. Scat. Bear and boar shit. Okay. Okay. It's not as professional in the newspaper. True. On Friday, June the 20th, this was actually Dennis's seventh birthday. That's really sad. Yeah. Total number of volunteers has reached 780. Rangers end up closing Cades Cove Road to keep out anyone that's not involved in the search for Dennis. Because even though the volunteer numbers have gone up, there are a lot of people coming in, rubbernecking and gawking, just trying to see what's happening. They're not helping, you know, and that always happens, unfortunately. Um, but this is also when a Park officials start to make plans for body recovery if Dennis is found. Yeah, because at this point, he's been out in the elements for so long. Like six days now. Yeah. We're almost to a week, and he's six. Now, June 21st, on Saturday, a psychic by the name of Jean Dixon claims to have had a vision of Dennis breathing the night before. Now, apparently, she had help with previous um, investigations, and she had actually been right a couple of times. Yeah. Huh. So that's why that's in there. A volunteer actually falls from a bridge and breaks an arm. And park officials make a public plea for no more volunteers due to the numbers peaking at 1,400. That is unbelievable. That is. When you get that many people, you're bound to have someone break an arm or shoot themselves in the leg. The fact shoot themselves. How in the heck did they do? It's because they didn't have like a holster. Didn't have a good holster. (laughs) June 22nd, on Sunday, the number of volunteers has scaled back to 1,000. It's determined that they have searched over 56 square miles, and park officials make the decision to conclude the search due to heavy rains and flash flooding that end up occurring overnight. So they're getting ready. This is frustrating because it has rained pretty much every night since he disappeared. It was a beautiful weekend. He disappears, and then it's just raining endlessly every single night. Yeah, that makes it tough for sure. Now, by June the 23rd on Monday, the volunteer numbers have shrank down to 427. And this is mainly due to the continued rain and a lot of people have had to take shelter. They can't get out. It's too dangerous even for them. The last thing you need is for your searchers to have to be searched for because it's too dangerous. Mm -hmm. On Tuesday the 24th, William continues calling for his son by using a megaphone. One of the things is... People were concerned about him using the megaphone because they're not sure that he could even hear him, especially 
when he was in the helicopter. Because that's what I was thinking. I have. I, it seems like it would drown it out. But. Exactly. They were worried about the propellers, like drowning out him yelling and stuff. Because I mean, it's, I guess it doesn't hurt anything though. No, and if it makes him feel better, and maybe if he's getting off of, it lets the other people do what they need to do, and he needs to feel like he's helping. And I get that. It's one of those, especially if it's been raining and stuff. You're yelling. You can't hear that far away when there's all those noises. Uh, I can't say that I wouldn't have done it till I was horse. You know. Two more search dog teams join in the search. Someone spots a boy dressed identical to Dennis camping in Cade's Cove, but it turns out that it is not him. Park officials begin discussing ending the search at this time. By Wednesday of the 25th, Special Forces soldiers and the National Guardsmen begin leaving. Park superintendent declares that the search is kind of near its end, which in turn causes the Martin family to go back home to Knoxville. I can't imagine how difficult that is to stop looking. Yeah. I mean, you can't look forever. You can't. But but then it's like you don't just disappear either. It would be hard to go home empty handed. Yeah. And one of the things that I noticed in a lot of the articles, especially at the very beginning, is they were quoting him, the father. And he's just like, all I keep saying is like, he was there. I, I saw him the whole time. Like, I just took my eyes off of him. For a second, he, it was only just a few minutes and he was just gone. And I get it. That is the guilt and the, just that it, I, I can't imagine. It, it's frustrating. I can only imagine his frustration. Thursday, June 26, the volunteer numbers have dwindled down more to 121. The smell of decay is discovered near Tremont, but is quickly determined to belong to a dead dog. By Friday, June 27th, the cleanup begins on the trails, and volunteer numbers are fewer than 70. So, due to the mass amount of volunteers that came in, they had to build up these trails so that vehicles could get through, the people could get through, because these were just hiking trails. And so, they had to bring in gravel and stuff like that, just so that everybody could get in and out successfully. On Saturday, June 28th, the Rangers reopened Cades Cove to traffic. And park rangers are still watching the wildlife, and they do discover that some buzzards are circling in Sugar Cove. It is quickly discovered, though, that this is due to a dead bobcat. By Sunday of June 29th, search operations are suspended. The FBI does get called in because this is the White House knew about this. Like, this was national news, and there was a lot of pressure from the president, from the governor of Tennessee, to find this little boy. It was a big deal. And so FBI agents inform park officials that there is no evidence to support that a kidnapping may have occurred. It sure seems like it did to me. And I'm on the other, like, originally when I was looking at this, I never once thought, like, we'll discuss it in a second. But that was not my first thought. But, yeah, we'll discuss it. So a trio of trackers do continue searching for over the next 50 days, but they find no trace of Dennis. The Martin family does offer a $5,000 reward for any information leading to their son. By July the 3rd, a report comes in that there is the smell of decay near where the child-sized prints were found, the shoe prints and the footprint. Park officials state that it is due to a dead crow, but one of the now-retired rangers didn't believe that the smell came from a dead crow. He states knowing what a dead crow smells like, this smell was 
way worse and in no way similar. Now, by September the 11th, the search for Dennis Martin is closed by park officials. Here's some interesting things that did occur. So, about a month after Dennis's disappearance, a man named Harold Key contacted park officials with a strange claim. So, Harold was a state highway engineer from Carthage, Tennessee. He was visiting Cades Cove with his family the same weekend that Dennis had disappeared. A quote from Harold reads, when we got about a half a mile or maybe three quarters of a mile from our car, we heard a scream. But it sounded like it came from higher on the mountain to me. I looked across the creek and I saw a man in the bushes. Now, Harold didn't know about Dennis's disappearance until the next day. After hearing his story, the rangers believed that Harold and his family were more likely at Sea Branch, which is a small stream that crosses the south leg of Cades Cove Loop Road. This would have placed him at around five miles from Spencefield and by trail between seven to nine miles. Now, Harold died in 2019 at 94 years old and stuck to his story up until his death. He believed it. He saw it. That's what happened. But park officials don't believe his story had any connection to Dennis Martin. And I get it. It was far away. Who knows? He did describe it as a troubled scream. Yes. And again, I'm going to say it. Was it a bobcat? (sighs) Answer my damn question. You know, it could have been a bobcat. If he was not experienced at being out there, he said it sounded high above. Like, did they get in trees? Yeah. Okay. It was hungry. It saw Harold. I don't know what your obsession with bobcats are. They're really cute, even though they're vicious. But they're in the area. There's a lot of activity happening due to them searching. I don't know what time it was. So I don't know how long Dennis had been missing. Because if it had been long enough, you'd be surprised how far you could get. You know, five miles is a long way for a kid. But if you're panicked or scared or, you know. It was four hours before they even went and got the ranger. Yeah. But I don't know when he, when Harold was there. Right. So it may not have made sense. Maybe that's kind of why they were like, Mm-mm, this has nothing to do with it. Because they're logically, there was no way he could have made it that far. That makes sense if it had just happened. Now, in July of 1985, a man contacted one of the rangers stating that he had found a child-sized skeleton 15 years prior. 15 years. Now, the skeleton was near an uprooted tree below Spencefield. The reason the man didn't report what he saw was because he had been illegally hunting for ginseng. So with this new information, a crew of 30 men set out and searched the hollow, but they found absolutely nothing. I don't give a shit who you are. If you find a child-sized skeleton, I don't care if you're burying your own dead body. Go tell them. I wonder if he'd been in, I mean, seriously, I don't know the rules on this ginseng shit, but like, unless it was like, this is your last straw from getting ginseng, why would he have not told? It does seem odd. I mean, just maybe say you were hiking. Exactly. Oh, I was just out having a hike. I was running. Oh, I don't know. We I could debate that all day. People do strange things. And, you know, maybe it scared him. I'm going to give him that one, too. Maybe he was like, uh, did I really just see that? But 15 years is a long time. There was an instance sometime in the 90s when a man contacted park officials for details about the case. He thought that he might be Dennis Martin, but it was later found out that he was not, and I don't know any other information on that. So I'm not sure if maybe he was adopted or maybe he grew up in foster care or something like that, and he, you know, maybe had similarities, was missing from the same area. So some of the theories around what actually happened to Dennis included that he got lost, 
and he died from exposure, likely during the first night. Uh, According to park officials, this to them is the most probable theory. The second is that he was attacked by a hungry bear due to the drought. The bears were getting really close, um, a feral pig, and maybe he got carried off. The third is that he was abducted and taken out of the park by something or someone. The Martin family really did believe this theory is what happened. With the information from Harold Key stating he heard a scream and saw a disheveled man emerging from the bushes, only one article I could find stated that this man had something red slung over his shoulder, obviously gave some clout to an abduction for the family. However, the FBI believed this man was just a moonshiner. I mean, how did they come up with that, I wonder? I don't know. And think about it. It's 69. I bet there are moonshiners. And from what I've heard, the Smoky Mountains have a lot of uh, mountain men, apparently, that live there. And a lot of people that live off the grid, even then, that don't want to be bothered. So this disheveled man that, you know, Harold saw may have just been somebody. Like, it may have not been nefarious, but it could have been. Um, For me, it seems like he was kidnapped. Only because they there were so many people and they covered so much. And granted, a lot of people don't know what to look for if they're just some regular Joe. But it seems like if he had died from exposure, they would have found him. It rained multiple days. Thunderstorms, we don't know. I mean, the first night was two and a half inches. If you get just enough water flowing, I mean, it's going to carry stuff. I'm not saying a body, but I am saying clothing, shoes, things like that. He's only six. He was kind of small for his age. One main item to note is that the search for Dennis Martin showed the world what not to do. Due to the rain, the mud, the large number of volunteers, the hundreds of inexperienced volunteers, park rangers quickly lost track of who was coming, who was going, and this caused the search to quickly become unorganized and completely chaotic. You have somebody that shot themselves in the leg, You have somebody that fell off of a bridge and a broken arm. They had, there were stories that people were coming in that didn't know how to read a compass and that people were coming in that had never set foot in the park. And I get it. People are wanting to come and help. But if you get lost and you can't read a compass, you can't come back. Let's not do that. Careless eyes. They don't know if they, they don't know what they don't know. Good intentions can still be bad in this kind of situation. I mean, it was never meant to be bad. Now, due to the sense of urgency from the governor of Tennessee and the White House, park rangers didn't feel that they could actually turn people away. This was like, like I said, it was national headlines. It was a big, big, big deal. And it was acknowledged by park officials later that this was probably devastating to the search. Rescuers, foresters, and even the military To this day, they reenact the search for Dennis Martin. These drills and models are not confined to the U.S., but are actually used regularly all over the world. The disappearance of Dennis Martin has saved the lives of hundreds. Due to, they realize with all those people coming in, like honestly, 70 was probably too many. They realized pretty quickly any evidence of anything was getting trampled on. It was already raining. It was already muddy. You've got Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts don't know. I mean, hey, they probably knew more than the person that shot himself in the leg. But come on, you've got, you know, there's other ways that they could have volunteered to help. I mean, you've got special forces coming in to help. Hello. And they probably, and it makes me wonder, like, when they came in, were they like, this is a shit show. I can't find anything. 
because of all the tracks, all the mud, all the things. Yeah, it does sound chaotic. Just, I mean, having to build road like roads. <laughs> 1,400 people. Like, what do you do with them? I don't know the area that great, but if there's a ravine, something small, he's six, he gets in there. Nobody knows. You don't know to look there. He could have easily been missed. My opinion. I feel like he was playing and he fell, maybe bumped his head, or maybe he slipped and he rolled down a steep slope. He could have hit his head, got knocked out. People are yelling for him. He's not hearing them because he's knocked out. He could have even passed away. He could have died just from a head injury, depending on how he got hit, you know? And then it rains. And so even if he was passed out and he, you can, you can drown in an inch of water. People need to recognize that. If he's face down, he could have drowned. And then I do think maybe animals could have got him. I don't want to hear your mess about, you'd be able to see it. Animals can take kids and you not know. That's a lot of things happening there. That's all I'm saying. That's not. It's really not. But you, it, it is weird though. I know you think he was he was nabbed, but all the people that were there, they pretty much were there. Like they didn't leave like right away in a rush. The only ones I'd be concerned about are the two people that showed up randomly, but then they stayed. You know what I'm saying? I, so I don't know. I could go both ways. I mean, if somebody was going to take them, they wouldn't take them out on the only trail. They'd take them through the woods. Yeah, but we don't know if there was more than one. I don't know that he was actually. I don't. It's hard for me to believe that he was kidnapped when it is the wilderness. I get that it was, he was right there. But the Great Smoky Mountains, maybe he thought, like, he could have ran to hide and went further than he thought and then got easily turned around and then got lost. I mean, it's really simple. And one of the things that I did notice is that they were talking about how, um, even for a child of his age, that um, he was an experienced hiker and... You know, he had he liked picking the trails and he knew them and he'd be ahead of people and doing that stuff. And I'm not saying any of that is wrong or bad, but I worry at the end of the day, he's six. And if he's panicked, he's not going to make a good decision. But even a grown, experienced hiker could, they make mistakes. We, you still, I mean, they're in the news even now. They got lost or something happened and they were out for days. When Dennis went missing, he was described as a white male. He was four foot tall. He weighed 55 pounds. He had brown hair. And today he would be 58 years old. If you have any information regarding Dennis Lloyd Martin, you can contact the Great Smoky Mountains National Park at 865-436-1230, case number 061469, or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-843-5678. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, it it really is. And they never found anything. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And they never went back for their annual trip. Yeah, how could you? Yeah. So we have news. This is the end of our first season. Yay! Yay. So we will be back the first week of July. Yeah. More scary stories. Yeah. Weird stories. Yep. Please still reach out to us on social media. We will still be doing our very best to be active, but we are gathering more stories and doing more stuff and getting the data and trying to be amazing for all of you. And you can still email us. Email us, talk to us, tag us in pictures. Go back and listen to some of your favorite past episodes. Oh, I listened to some of those earlier and I said, oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little rough early on. 
Go make fun of those episodes. Yeah, make fun of them with us. Share them with your friends. Yeah. Uh, you Do you hate somebody? Do you really want Janet to just fucking piss her off? Leave her alone. Send her a podcast of us. No, leave her alone. We fucking love Janet. She didn't do anything. You don't know that. Anyways. <laughs> don't forget to like us, love us, rate us, review us. Five stars. Five stars means good. Five stars means bad. Until next time. Teach your children. They get lost. No. <sighs> to s- stay where they are. <gasps> yes. Yeah. What did you think I was going to say something bad? I didn't know. Teach stay- the kids. Hug a tree. Yeah. That's what it is. That is something we should all remember. Hug a tree. Hug a rock. Hug themselves. If you get lost, even as an adult, stay where you are. Somebody will find you. Don't fuck a tree. Oh, honey. Yeah, you don't hump the tree. No. Don't hump rocks. Stop saying those things. That's what I'm saying. Don't do that. Oh. Hug it. God. You don't know that tree. They're not going to let us come back. So. Who is they? All of our people. Oh. All our fellow weirdos. Anyways, seriously though, teach your kids. If they ever get lost, they ever lose sight, stand still. Stay where you are. Because if you're lost, what do we do as adults? Backtrack. Where did I leave my toddler? In the car. <gasps> I remember now. Oh, <laughs> God. Okay. Until next time, you guys. We love you. We'll see you soon. Send us your suggestions. Bye. Until next time, fellow Absurdians, remember, everything you've heard is true, monsters are real, and the strangers in black are not a figment of your imagination. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. Do you have a story you want to share? Contact us at eerieandabsurd at gmail.com or visit our website at eerieandabsurd.com to submit a suggestion. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at eerie underscore absurd.